morning, everybody. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 4, starting verse 12. Um, that could be a screen or an actual page. Many people still have real Bibles. Anybody? Anybody have real Bibles? <laughs> I have one at home. <laughs> I have one right here, actually, in case, you know, this goes down. I know I got, I got it here, so we're good. All right, so I want to I wanna jump off. I'm, uh, this is the second part of a series we've started called... Um, Leave Your Nets, it's a passage out of Matthew, and I want to focus on a couple of passages in Matthew uh, chapter 4 this morning um, about the kingdom of God. Um, Jesus mentions this uh, when he's talking many, many times. You see this uh, a theme throughout most of the Gospels, but especially in Matthew. So I just want to jump off in uh, chapter 4, verse 12. I'm going to read 12 and 13. I'm going to skip the call to um, the first group of disciples, verse 2. And then I'm going to read verse 17, skip another passage that's the call to two other brothers, and finish out with verse 23, and then make some comments about it. So it says, Now when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. And last week we talked about how when he went into Galilee, it was called Galilee of the Gentiles. And this was prophesied in several books in the Old Testament that that the Messiah was going to come to an area that was really, really diverse. I think that's interesting that he spent the majority of his time around the Sea of Galilee. It was incredibly diverse, a lot of sinners, uh, Galilee of the Gentiles. There was a lot of people who weren't part of Israel that Jesus ended up ministering to, and there are passages that talk about that. But he met uh, a couple of people. He had, he had connected with a few disciples ahead of time before this. Um, there's a passage down here where he talks about Matthew, the tax collector. Uh, he connects with him. He was from Capernaum. Uh, Peter and Andrew, the brothers, lived in Capernaum. I've been to their house. They weren't there, but I've been to their house. Um, <laughs> it's right now there's, a, there's actually a church built over the top of the, the original house, uh, Peter and Andrew and their family. Um, there's, a, like I said, a big church over it. And underneath there's a, the, the ruins of an octagon-shaped not a ring with Chuck Norris, that's a different time period. This was actually a, a Byzantine church. They, they loved octagons, so they built a church there. And it was that, those ruins were built over the original ruins of a house that in the first and second century that believers met in, in Capernaum. And before that, it was Peter's house. So Peter's house had been reused many, many times. I think he would be happy about that, especially for the sake of the gospel. So Capernaum is mentioned numerous times in the Bible, <clears throat> that area, Galilee, it's a real place. Um, Josephus, who was, a, who was a, some of you guys know who Josephus was. He was a Roman historian, even though he was Jewish. And he wrote many things that we would call extra biblical that confirm what, what we find in Scripture. Many, many passages. Um, he talked about Jesus. He actually talks about Capernaum. He was in Capernaum one time. Um, he fell off his horse, hurt himself, and he recovered in Capernaum. So that was Josephus' version of Capernaum. But Jesus spent time here, and he ministered here. He comes down. We read um, a couple weeks ago how Jesus had come down from, um, from his hometown of Nazareth. His, his original family, his um, blood family, mother and, and brothers and sisters, had, had, had turned away from Jesus. And they, they, the Bible says that he announced that he was the Messiah, um, that they took him to the hillside to throw him over a cliff, and they weren't able to do it. He just walked right between them, kind of Jedi mind trick before there were Jedi, right? And so he walks right through the middle of them. <clears throat> he eventually, from that, that place, he's rejected by his family. His, he was in the synagogue when he said this. His brothers, his sisters, his mother was there. They did not defend him. It's really important that they didn't defend him. As a matter of fact, it turns up later when he comes down into Capernaum and he's ministering in Peter's house, probably. There's several passages that talk about this. His, brother and his, his brothers and his mother come to that house 
and they said they want to see him, and he's so covered with people. There's so many people in the house that he can't, he can't hardly move, so they have to send kind of, you know, telephone game, word of mouth to Jesus that his, his mother and his brothers are here. And he asks the question, he says, who are uh, my brothers? Who is my mother? And he points at them and he says, you guys are. And so it's really interesting that in this passage, Jesus is making a very distinctive change in his ministry. He was ministering in Nazareth. He preached there in the synagogue. They rejected him as the Messiah. And he came to a new family, which were his disciples, which are you and and me. We are Jesus' family, right? If you are a believer this morning, you're, you're part of Jesus' extended family. You are his brothers, his mother, we are family. And that's why you see so often the Bible talks about the kingdom of God, it, it, which is a kingdom. And, and if you come from the UK or if you've ever visited a country that has a kingdom, you know a little bit about that. Most of Americans, you know, we celebrate, whoop, Fourth of July, right? What is, somebody sent me, a, a, I think it was a, a, a meme um, from the British people that said, happy treason day, all you un- ungrateful peasants, right? <laughs> and we're like, well, there's a reason we speak American and not English. I'm just saying, right? So there's a, there's a sense of freedom we've been talking about today. And so Jesus comes and he wants to bring freedom to the Gentiles. So he's preaching this gospel. He's in the synagogue in Capernaum. There's a, a demon-possessed man who, who interrupts his sermon. And Jesus speaks to this, to this demon. He casts the demon out. The guy's completely whole. Uh, right after that, he goes from that, that uh, synagogue, which is a a couple of hundred yards away from Peter's house. He goes to Peter's house. He heals Peter's mother-in-law. You see that in another passage. And they, there's a ministry begins to happen all around there. The Sermon in the, on the Mount is just around the corner toward the top. This is kind of the, the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. And then you go up just almost to the north. And there's this beautiful hillside that goes up um, from the Sea of Galilee. And that's where Jesus preached. Uh, most people believe he preached the Sermon on the Mount right there. And so this, this area is just rich with the ministry of Jesus. It's a real place. It, these things really happened. And what he was doing there, he wants to do here. He started something. He began something there that he has continued since then. That's what we want to get into. So verse 17, I'm skipping down to verse 17. It says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so last week we talked a little bit about what the word repent means. It doesn't just mean to come down to the altar, cry a lot, and be really sorry. That's nice, but the question really with the word repent is, have you changed your mind? Have you changed the way you're thinking about your sin and about how that relates to God and about what God has done to take your sin away? And are you grateful? And do you come into the kingdom loving Jesus? Like, Jesus, you're so amazing because you took away my sin. Like if you've never, the gospel is only good news if you know the bad news, right? And the bad news is the wrath, the Bible says it this way, the wrath of God abides upon you because of your sinfulness. (laughs) That's an unpleasant statement in the Bible. I wish that weren't there, but it's there, right? But the beautiful side of that is the good news is what's what comes next, that Jesus paid for everyone's sin, all of sin for all of time has been eradicated, done away with, he has erased it from the books, he's taken away past, present, all future sin, he paid for on the cross, if you receive him as the one who paid for your sin, so there's only two kinds of righteousness, I've mentioned this many times, there's the gift of righteousness, which is what Jesus gives us. He said, I paid for your sin, and I'm given a great exchange. I took your sin, and now here's the gift of righteousness. That is the only way into heaven. Just so you know, I didn't say that. Jesus said that. No other name under heaven by which man can be saved but Christ Jesus, right? 
Jesus said, come unto me, all you that are laboring, heavy laden. I'm going to give you rest. He goes on, he talks about, and, and, and John talks about the fact that there's no other way. He says, no, you can't come into the kingdom any other way except through him, right? So why is that important? Jesus comes and he says, repent. Take on a new mind about your sin. You can try to pay for it yourself or you can let me pay for it. It's, it's a choice. You have to make a decision about what you're going to do. And here's what we find mostly in, in Western countries. We find ourselves connected to the point, like in the, in the prodigal son, you have the prodigal son who went away, spent everything he had, comes back broken and empty, and then you have the elder son who's working in, the, in laboring for his father but doesn't know his father. And most of Western, the Western world is that older son. I'm working hard to earn God's love for me, when God was all the time saying, you can never earn enough, you can never do enough, because it's a gift, I've already given it to you. And so when you try to be self-sufficient, that's where you find yourself in the very place that you're, you say, I have no need for God. And so you don't see your sinfulness, you don't see your brokenness. So when Jesus comes, he's challenging people, two, two different kinds of people usually. The prodigal son, like in the story, he's telling that story about broken people who are, who are, who are so stuck in their sin, sometimes addicted, just their life has been traumatized by sin. And then there's other people who are getting along okay, right? Your sin is an acceptable sin, like greed, for example. You know, you make a lot of money, and you have nice things, and you have a lot of power, but you're, so your sin in corporate America, oh, we love you, you're, we want to make you CEO, right? But you end up going through several wives and family, you know, you, you have a wake of brokenness behind you. Either way, Jesus said, I came and I'm preaching the kingdom of God is at hand, right? So repent, take on a new mind, think differently. So we talked a lot about that last week. So here's the interesting thing. He says, he, he, Jesus began to preach and this is what he would say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was saying something has happened here that's different than all other time before and will be different and it will change everything moving forward into the future. What happened? Heaven came to earth. That's what happened when Jesus came. The incarnation, we celebrated at Christmas, the, God became a man and dwelled among us, right? And so here's Jesus, fully human, fully God, living among us. So he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now listen, lots of people had said that. Lots of people said, I have the answer. Lots of people had risen up and said, I'm the Christ, I'm the Messiah. The Bible talks about, even in the New Testament, talks about people who had risen up, called themselves the Messiah, and it came to nothing is what the Bible says. So why is this different? Because when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is at hand, what he did was he demonstrated that it was true. Okay? Major difference. He didn't just say it with words. Vain philosophy, right? It wasn't just words. He backed it up with actions. Matthew 12, 28. But if, and this is what he said. He's, he's casting a demon out, driving demons out of people. And the, and the Pharisees, the religious people of the day, accused him of doing it through the power of the devil. Now, that's kind of dumb, but whatever. And he, go, he goes to Matthew 12, 28. He says, but if it is by the Spirit of God or the finger of God that I drive demons out, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. This is what he said. He said, I have authority over these, these demons. And if the, if the Spirit of God, if the finger of God through me is driving out demons, then something has occurred you need to pay attention to. The kingdom of God has come among you, right? He was telling this, and he said this over and over in a hundred different ways. So what is the kingdom? And we talked about this just briefly last week. The kingdom is the king's domain. It is the place where the king has rule. 
It is the place where the king is in charge, right? So when he says the kingdom is at hand now, he was saying that there's been a lot of stuff going on where the devil had reign, where people had reign, where idolatry was running rampant. And it's been like that for some time now, but something has just occurred that has never occurred before. And that is the kingdom of heaven has come among you. There had been explosions of the kingdom of of heaven into the world through prophets, through kings, through the nation of Israel. But now all of a sudden, Hebrews says, you've heard God talk all kinds of different ways. But in these last days, he's speaking by his son. He's demonstrating who he is by his son, who is Jesus Christ, right? So the king's domain. He says basically this way, if I possess the power of God, then I am bringing the kingdom of God to bear on you. And wherever the power of God is, there is the kingdom of God. So you can't say, I have the kingdom of God, if you never see the power of God move in your life. There's lots of Christians, and we talked about this before, something called cessationism. Okay, It's just a long theological word that means that people who believe, they believe that the miracles happened in the Bible, Right, Because you can't even be a Christian unless you believe that a man rose from the dead. That's a supernatural miracle. Can't get away from it. You can call yourself a Christian all all day long. If you don't believe Jesus was raised from the dead, you cannot be a Christian. You must believe in the supernatural if you're a Christian. You have to. You don't have any other option, right? It's literally the definition of it. But what people have done is they've said, you know, God stopped moving in power. He stopped demonstrating his power when the church was established. Now, that's a great theory, except for it's not backed up in Scripture, and it's not backed up practically over the last 2,000 years. It's not backed up practically in my lifetime, because I've seen the power of God move in all of these ways. It's incredible. So, what, what was the kingdom? It's literally used. The kingdom of God comes to bring about the rule of the king wherever the kingdom of God has come among us. So if Jesus came into Galilee, what was happening is he was bringing the kingdom of God to bear into that that place. So how did he do it? He did it through signs and wonders. He did it through miracles. He did it through healings. All these things kind of combined. They're different kinds of miracles. But this is just what, I'm just going to give you some scriptures. This is Acts 2.22. It says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This was the apostles saying, Jesus moved in signs and wonders. You know this because you saw it happen in Israel. You were there for some of these miracles. There's other places, Acts 4.30. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. So Jesus is still performing signs and wonders even though he's gone to heaven. How's that possible? He said before he left, I have to go away so I can send my spirit to you. And when he sends his spirit to you, he said this, greater things will you do than I do. In, in power, like you're going to do things that are greater in power than Jesus, dis, dis, it, it was, at least was displayed in Scripture. He did many, many signs and wonders that, that they never wrote down. But he said, even in the extension of how many, there's going to be many, many, many more wonders and signs and miracles done through God's people, through you and through me. How about you? Have you done any signs and wonders lately? right it's challenging I know because it's like okay am I supposed to perform like a monkey is that what I'm supposed to do like when someone says show me that God is actually God God is not a butler and you can yank the chain and he comes and does your bidding that's not how God plays it you need to know that right now he God will definitely not perform like a monkey for you right so if you think we can do that you're in big trouble and people demand it they say if your God is God then right so there are times when those challenges came and God did display his power 
But the idea behind it is, even if you did those things, people would find a way to dismiss it because that's what they do right now. That's what cessationism is. I can't believe in anything outside of the box. The box is nature. It's science. It's all the things that are, we accept as true, right? It's reality. The only problem is the supernatural is above nature, not inside of it. So God can move outside the box anytime he wants, right? It turns out that he wants to. Um, Acts 5.12, now many signs and wonders were regularly done. Hear that? Regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Now it's moved from Jesus into his, his disciples. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. There's many more. Romans 15.19 is interesting. It says, by the power of signs and wonders. This is Paul talking, okay? By the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. So part of preaching the gospel was moving with signs and wonders following, is what the Bible would say. That in proclaiming the gospel, something also came about to prove that the gospel was true. And that's what I want to go after today. So miracles. What are miracles? Miracles are outside of the natural realm. Something that, it's not just a coincidence, although I found as a Christian, I see lots of coincidences in the kingdom of heaven, right? You can call it what you want. You can define it what you want, but it really comes back to miracles. So there's all kinds of miracles. There's miracles that teach us. Jesus taught the disciples through some of his miracles. He, he used miracles to bring t- people to salvation. Um, he also he called people to, into places of repentance. It, it, in other words, the signs and wonders often would show them who they are. Let me give you an example. Um, this is Luke 5.8. Um, Jesus leads Peter, James, and John to this miraculous catch of fish, right? There, there's no way possible. He said, we've been fishing all night, nothing. Jesus said, throw your nets over on the other side. They do, and the, the catch is so big that it literally weighs down their boat. They have to call other fishermen other boats to, to bring in all of the fish. So this super, it wasn't just a supernatural miracle of fish. It was money. Those fish were money, okay? They had been working hard and nothing. They'd not gained a single dime, and Jesus basically made them rich overnight. Well, not entirely rich, but they were middle class, whatever you would call it. So the thing is that Jesus would do this so much so that when he did this with Peter, this is what Peter said. He fell on his knees and he said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. So he saw the supernatural. He recognized him as God. He recognized that he was a sinner in the presence of a God who was holy and that he was sinful. And that's part of the picture of the gospel, right? When the, the power of God comes, you are, whether you want to be or not, you are yanked away from the natural world and you're brought into a place of distinction. This is a time when God is moving in power. Something's going on that you cannot dismiss. And that's why the power of God was so important. Miracles manifest the kingdom of God. Part of what Jesus was saying was he's going to do something not just through his own physical body and his walk with his Father. He was going to give you and I the ability to walk in signs and wonders and the miraculous too. Right? Now, Jesus seemed to do this on command. He could do it at any time, and he did it all the time. Sometimes he would do it out of compassion. Sometimes he would do it just because someone was sick and he wanted them well. Sometimes he did it to teach somebody something. There was lots of reasons why Jesus did, did miracles. The biggest part of it was because he loved humanity and he wanted to bless them. He wanted to fix their physical ailments. He wanted to heal. You know, the demonic would take over a person's, literally take over their body, their mind. It would take them out of society, put one of them, it put into the tombs to the point where they were cutting themselves and injuring themselves. 
And people would steer clear, go away from this guy. And Jesus said, that guy needs to be free. So everybody had tried. The Bible says they tried to contain him with chains. And the demonic spirit inside him would make him strong and he would break the chains. And Jesus said, I'm going to break the chains. And the chains are never coming back on him again. The Bible says when he cast the demon out, he was in his right mind. He sat calmly and he talked of the things of God. Now let me ask you a question. When that guy became a believer, you think you're going to change his mind? (laughs) Of course not. Same thing with people. That, remember the, the guy whose, whose eyes are, are opened up, and, and he comes before the Sanhedrin, and they accuse him and say, you know, who did this? And he said, I don't know. This is what I know. I was blind, and now I can see. That's what I know. Now, let me just say that about this. So often we use that phrase and say, you know, that was, that was metaphorical, right? And it is. Jesus wants to set us free. Karen was talking about that today's Independence Day. You know, the natural side of a nation that said, we want to be free from tyranny and we want to bring freedom, right? And we celebrate that, and I'm all for that. But it's a natural picture of something supernatural because Jesus came and he said, he said, whom the sun sets free is free indeed, right? No longer in bondage. Even if you put me in bondage physically, you can never take away the fact that I'm a free man on the inside because of what Jesus has done. So the kingdom of God is the rule of God into the place where the kingdom has come. So why don't we see more of God's power nowadays? How come we don't see what we see in the New Testament? I'll give you two reasons, I think. There's probably more and some nuance involved. But the first one is we don't know it's available. We have been told, I've got a book, I'll talk about it in just a second. I've got a book that talks about the miracles throughout the New Covenant, New Testament, and and the modern-day miracles. It's a huge book, tons of footnotes, it's two volumes, Um, it's an incredibly big book about miracles, signs and wonders, and it talks about all those in the Old Testament, New Testament, and it talks about the modern day miracles. And it talks about there's a process um, that came through um, theology that began to say that that because the miracles weren't happening, they reasoned that God no longer did them. Now think about that for a second. Rather than saying, like we're saying, God, if, if you're supposed, we're supposed to be walking in this, how come we're not seeing more? We want to see more. What, God, what is it going to take for us to have what you have given us as an inheritance through Jesus, right? But rather than do that, they flipped it over and said, well, God, I prayed for people ten times and nothing happened. Therefore, that must mean you no longer do miracles or signs and wonders. And that, my friends, is what we call a cop-out, <laughs> Right? Because it's, it's not supported scripturally. So why is this important? Because there's something we can have. This is what James 4.2 uh, 4, says, the last part of it. He says, you do not have, when he's talking about talking to God in prayer, you do not have, why? Because you do not ask. Or you ask and spending on, spend it on yourself selfishly. So he said, you know, there's, a, there's a, a, an invitation from heaven. God has paid a price and there's an inheritance available to you and I. But we're not walking in most of it. Why? I think one is we don't know. And secondly, unbelief. We refuse to acknowledge it. It's too risky. I prayed for a guy once for healing. And this is a true story, by the way. I prayed for a coworker one time who had back problems. He was a Christian. I prayed for him, and his problems got worse. He literally said, please don't pray for my healing anymore, Dave. And I said, well, I'm going to, <laughs> just not to you. I'm just going to keep praying. Now, he ended up having surgery, and his back was better, 
but he still suffers. But here's the thing. I, my heart was, God, even if, I, even if I'm embarrassed, even if I try this and it doesn't happen, I'm not doing it because I, if, I could, if I could do it in myself, I wouldn't even ask God, right? But I, I, I can't. It's not within my power to heal. I, in my physical self, who I am, I am natural in the sense that I don't have the ability to do that. Except for, the Bible says, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me. So there's something going on here in some ways like what happened with Jesus, fully human and yet fully God. Now, there's no one else like Jesus. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we're gods. That's just stupid, okay? There's one one God, one true God, right? But you and I, the Bible calls sons and daughters of God. It doesn't say daughters, but I'm helping you out. Sons of God. Why? Because there's an inheritance available to you and I that the Scripture speaks of that we don't access. Sometimes it's fear. Sometimes, honestly, it's just unbelief. I don't believe God wants to do that anymore, or I'm afraid of what he might require of me if I do believe it. Right? So let me just give you a passage. Um, Matthew 13, 50, uh, 53, we were talking about this. Jesus um, finished, um, the Bible says he finished the parables and came from there when he'd come to his own country. Remember when he went to Nazareth, he's reading in, um, inside the synagogue, and they get all mad and try to throw him over the cliff. It says, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? So he has wisdom, and he's moving in power, and they're asking the question, where did he get that? That is the point of wisdom and the mighty works, right? The point of the mighty works is people are going to ask the question, how did you do that? You ever watch the shows, um, you see them especially on YouTube, of, of the guys performing street magic and people freaking out and running away, right? So they, in their head, they know it's a trick, and yet it's so unbelievable that it, in some ways, it literally terrifies them and runs away. Other people hang around, get so excited, whatever they were doing, they forgot about because they want to know how he did that. Now, in their head, they know there's a trick to it. And in some ways, that's the question they were asking. Where did he get this power? It says, is this not the carpenter's son? And listen, this is where it began to go downhill, right? Because this is unbelief, not believing in who Jesus said he was. Not just what he could do, but in who he said he was. And this is what it says. It says, where did this man get this wisdom, these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? What they were saying was, he's not... God, he's only a man. That's what they were going for in this. That's why he names his, his mother and his brothers and sisters. It says, verse 57, so they were offended at him. They didn't like it because he wasn't doing it their way. So they were offended at him, but Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except his own country and in his own house. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. I think that's fascinating in a bunch of different ways. One is, he still did mighty works. Even in their unbelief, he still did some powerful things in their midst. So their unbelief couldn't stop Jesus from moving in power. But it limited who could receive from it. And therefore, much, much less was happening than could have happened, right? And that's kind of the point. 
prophet's not without honor in his own country. So you, if I pray for you and I say, hey, I want to pray for you being sick, in just a few minutes when we finish this message, we're going to ask you if you're sick, if you have sickness, we want to pray for you. If you're struggling with something, we want to pray for you. We want to be healers. And I know that's a weird version of saying it, but Jesus wants to heal you through his people, through his church, right, through his, his believers. So in just a minute, we're going to do that. So don't freak out and go, but Dave, I know you, and uh, you don't have what it takes. Agreed. Can we just agree? I, I don't, except for I do, <laughs> right? And if I could perform it on command, I'd be in the hospital right now not talking to you. But every opportunity that I get, I'm praying, and I want to see God move more and more in power. So Jesus, let me just kind of point out the way Jesus did this, and then we'll finish this up. Jesus had power over three things you see in the New Testament. First of all, he had power over sickness. There's 16 healing miracles in, in, the, in the Bible. There's more in, in the New Testament, but just specifically with Jesus. Um, the lepers, the blind, the deaf, the deformed, the crippled, the fever-ridden, the maimed, the paralyzed, uh, continuous bleeding from the woman who was, had an issue for 12 years, dropsy, I don't even know what that is, but I'm sure there's a new version of that <laughs> in medical terms. But here's the thing, it didn't matter what it was. Let me just give you a couple of scriptures. This is Matthew 8. When Jesus came into Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick in bed with a fever. We don't know what was causing the fever, but she had one. He touched her hand and the fever left her. He touched her hand and the fever left her. I like Dr. Jesus' medicine is awesome, right? I'd love to have more of that. And she got up and she waited on him. It was hindering her from serving and he fixed that, right? I love it. Matthew 8, 17, just a little ways over, he says, He himself took, this is the amplified version, He himself took in order to carry away our weaknesses and our infirmities and bore away our diseases. When Jesus died on the cross, He didn't just save us from our sin. He ushered in the kingdom of God that would be continually invading the kingdom of darkness ever since. And where the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven comes to bear, the kingdom, the king's rule begins to break out, right? And his intention is not for you to be sick. Now listen, there's some stuff out there that, that tells you that it, it's, it's a sovereignty doctrine, it's, a mis, it, it's, it's misguided at best, right? But the sovereignty doctrine is basically whatever happens, happens. It's face, I call it Facebook theology, right? Because nobody reads the whole Bible anymore. So Facebook theology, you know, if, if you're suffering with something, well, God meant for you to suffer because he's trying to teach you something. Let me ask you something. Do you do that with your kids? Like, come here, let me teach you about the stove being hot. I will burn your hand forever permanently, you know, maiming you. So then you'll know that it's hot. Is that what you do as parents? <laughs> of course not, right? Why do you think, do you think Jesus, this is the argument that always comes when people, when people have a problem with God. They're like, you know, um, God gave, I, I can't serve a God who gives cancer to babies. Well, neither can I. And neither should you, because that's not what he does. Remember John 10? The enemy comes to do what? Here's his job description. The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's what he does. If you see that happening in your life, that is not Jesus. That's the devil. That's how you know, because he actually wrote it down in a book, so you could read it, and you could know it, Right? Then what's Jesus do? I came to bring life and life more abundantly, right? So this sovereignty doctrine that says that you're suffering from sickness because Jesus is trying to teach you that something is just, it's not biblical. And I want to challenge you. Go back and study it for yourself. I did. When I saw this come up, I'm like, is there something to this? Because I don't want to teach something that's not true. 
and it's not. Let me give you an exa- just a practical example. There's this brilliant guy I follow. He's British. Um, I can't think of his name right off, but he's an incredible debater. Um, he's, he's been at Oxford for years. He's, he's, he just was diagnosed about two years ago with cancer. And so he's in an interview with a, a guy who was charismatic Pentecostal, and the guy asked him, he says, so what happened when you found out from the doctors, they told you that they had, you, had this, you had cancer, what happened? And this is what he said. I can, I can play you the podcast. He said, the, the day it happened, I went and I got along with God, and I prayed and I opened my heart and I said, God, what's going on? This is what he said. He said, God gave me two words. Now listen to what I just said. I'm, I'm, I'm quoting him verbatim. God gave me two words, right, so that I could deal with this cancer. Can you see the problem with that statement? God supernaturally gave him two words, but he can't heal him. See, and this is what happens with this doctrine. Things we, this is why unbelief is so powerful. It gets in the way of what God is trying to do because we say, well, you know, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and nothing happened. Well, maybe you're doing it wrong. Maybe you're praying and there's so much unbelief in your own heart. Maybe there's so much unbelief in the church. And this, these things are true. It's not an accusation. It's not beating you up. It's just what Jesus said. There's tons of unbelief. And the unbelief in us as a people, in us as a nation, in us as a Western culture, hinders the move and the power of God. So how do we get past that? Believe. That's how you get past it. Jesus, if you meant for me to heal... Teach me. Show me. I want to become better in this. If you meant me to see signs and wonders in my life as the gospel is proclaimed through my life, through demonstrations of your power to show who you are, then I'm open to teach me that. Show me that. But can I tell you, 100% of the people you don't pray for will not get healed. 100%. Right? And I pray for people, and some of them get healed. Not most of them. Some of them. I would love to move that up to most of them get healed and (laughs) some of them don't. I would love to see before Jesus comes back that the church is so powerful that if you need healing, you come to the church instead of other alternatives. Nothing wrong with doctors. We've got great doctors who actually believe in signs and wonders and miracles. Nurses who do the same and pray for people and see it. They see it on a regular basis. I would love to see these things occur. So scriptures about healing, there's tons of them. I won't read you all of them. So Jesus had power over sickness. Jesus had power over demons. We already mentioned this. Um, seven miracles. You see man, the man in a synagogue. You see this with Jesus right here in this passage in, in uh, Capernaum. A blind and mute demoniac, the Gadarene demoniac, a mute demoniac, daughter of a Syrophoenician mother, a boy at the base of Mount Hermon, a woman in a synagogue. There's several things that happen, but listen to what the devil said, what the demons said when Jesus confronted them. This is just a few passages, Mark chapter 3. And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. But he sternly, Jesus, sternly warned them that they should not make him known. (laughs) Jesus had a plan. He was unveiling himself as the Messiah in his ministry, and the demons wanted to let the cat out of the bag, and he said, you shut up. It's not your time. It's my time. You don't get to go and tell, right? I'm going to do that. Luke 4, 41, and demons also came out of many crying out and saying, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And he rebuking them did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. James wrote later on in verse uh, chapter 2, verse 19, 
you believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and they tremble. Even the demons believe in God. That's what's fascinating to me, that people can refuse to believe in God when the demons do. Now, I've, I've done some ministry in the demoniacs. You maybe have never done this. If you haven't, you really ought to try it a few times. It's a whole lot of fun. <laughs> it gets really weird really fast sometimes, right? We pray for I'm just going to give you some examples. Everybody okay with this? I'm a little bit over time, but I'm, I'm trying to get somewhere. Is everybody good? Don't, you're not telling me. Are you, everybody good? Okay, okay. <laughs> so even if you weren't, you'd probably, you probably nod your head yes, right? So this is important because, again, this is where God is taking us as a body, as a church, in this nation, in this city, in this region, in the nations. This is what he's taking, it's where he's trying to move us to. So I prayed, we prayed for a guy one time. He, was, he was, um, had been dealing with homosexuality. This was in the military. He was a short guy. He was married to a lady who was in our church. He was coming periodically, but he was dealing with this issue. And so we came to pray for him and see him delivered. He wanted this. He asked for this. We, we, there was somebody who knew way more than I did. We just came to help pray. We had no idea what we were doing. Karen and I went over there. I got out of the car on the base, got out of the car and stepped out of the car. And when I did, I saw something but didn't see it. I saw it not with natural eyes but with spiritual eyes. I saw a wall coming at me. And it was so incredible, I pushed my hands back like this because I thought it was going to hit me. And right before it hit me, something rose up and it slammed against it. Okay? And I heard that scripture, you know, that uh, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of God will raise a standard against him. Right? So God protected me, whatever that was, coming at me. We go in, we pray for this guy. The lady was interesting who was praying for him. She was seeing things in him like he was a landscape inside. She was pointing things out. At one point she said, I see you over there hiding. You come out in Jesus' name. And the guy vocalized in another voice, you can't see me. I'm not here. I'm like, okay, so they're stupid demons, right? Apparently. So demons have personalities. You see this in scripture. Some of them are smart. Some of them apparently not so much, right? And so we're praying for this guy. And at one point, supernatural strength, like the gathering demon who, 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 was, who would break chains. This guy, was, he was small. He was a very small man. And we had two guys holding his hands up as we were praying because it was taking a long time, which probably meant he was fighting it more than he should. As we're praying for him, something began to happen. He manifested. This is a phrase we use. Something unseen became seen. And when he did, one hand he took and lifted me off the ground just like that. Now, some of you guys are strong. If you'd like, let's get together afterwards and see if you can lift me off the ground like that with one hand. I'd like to see you do it, right? <laughs> so here's the thing. When, when God broke through, even though that guy had supernatural strength, he couldn't harm us. He tried, but he couldn't harm us. He just couldn't. The, 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 the demoniac stuff, whatever that was that came at me, had an intention to destroy me, and it was not allowed. Why? The Spirit of the living God is within me. He's within you if you're a believer. So you're protected, you're covered, but everybody's not. So where do the demons go? Right? You don't see those, you don't see demons often in, in modern day America, do you? Well, you probably do. They're just misdiagnosed. <laughs> right? And listen, and one reason why you don't see that is because there's the the, the the demonic is playing a game, and the game is if we expose ourselves in Western culture, we begin to challenge the idea that there's no such thing as the supernatural. So let's everybody be chilled and, and don't, get, you know, don't do that. But they can't help themselves sometimes, so it still comes up. Another guy, they called me and said, hey, would you pray for this guy? Um, he just tried to murder his entire family with a knife. We've got him pinned down. Um, we were going to call the police, but we know this is, is, is 
demonic. Would you come and pray for him? I said, absolutely. Drove over to their house and prayed for the guy. And the same thing, the guy had supernatural strength. We prayed for him. He was set, set free. Prayed for a little boy, some, 10 years old, who ended up in the fetal position in his school and couldn't talk. They brought him home. They wanted to take him to a psychiatrist. His mom, with some wisdom, says, I'm going to take him to my psychiatrist, who was Jesus. Nothing wrong with psychiatrists. She just had an intention. She brings him home. She calls me. She says, hey, Dave, will you come over and pray for him? We come over and pray. And as I'm praying for him, he, he starts speaking in a voice that's not his. And he's saying things to me, and, he's, and, he's, and he doesn't like the word Jesus at all. So I keep saying the word, word Jesus because he doesn't like it. And eventually, this demonic thing comes out of him. He collapses, and he almost falls asleep. We found out that he was, his, his grandmother was into some all kinds of witchcraft-type stuff, and that he was having encounters with the demon, uh, demons coming out of the closet, trying to get to him, all kinds of stuff going on. There's been numerous things. This is my favorite one. This happened in Tyler, Texas. Um, in the 90s, late 90s sometime, we're praying for a guy, his outreach, we're praying for this guy, and he started levitating. Now, here's where I lose most of you, and that's okay, because it's, I'm either telling you the truth or I'm not. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I told, when I saw this, I didn't believe it, okay? But it happened, so, it, so I'm going to tell you. So he's levitating. We pray for him, push him to the floor, cast demons out of this guy, and, he, and he's fine. He, he gives his life to Jesus, and he's totally fine. I'm not kidding when I say this. As the years go by, I would tell this story to people when I'd share the supernatural, and it became more and more unrealistic. And so I'm thinking in my head, maybe I have, you know, made this up. Maybe I've made Maybe I just thought I saw him levitate. Maybe he didn't actually do it. So I'm struggling with this. And so I told this story one last time. It, we were, it was a bunch of teenagers, and we're talking about the supernatural, and I mentioned this, and it just so happened that one of the teenagers who was part of the ministry, and his dad was part of the ministry that helped push that guy down, happened to be in the room that day or that night when I told that story. And he came up to me, and he said, you didn't, you didn't make this up. I was there. My dad was there. There were six other ministers there, and all of us saw this man levitate and watched you guys push him to the ground. This is in Texas. I've seen it in Bosnia. I've seen it in Mexico. I've seen it in Costa Rica. I've seen it. You see it a lot easier in other emerging nations. Why? Because there's no, there's too many of the people believe in the supernatural. So they have no problem manifesting the supernatural. They manifest and they terrify people. That's how it works. Animism. People are terrified all around the world of the demonic. And every time Jesus comes on the stage, the demonic is done away with. He has power over the demonic. There's so many things I could tell you, but here's why he did it. He has power over sickness, he has power over the demonic, and he has power over sin. This part you probably already know. But let me tell you why it's so important. Because I could say he has power over sin, and maybe you believe me, maybe you don't. Maybe it's a good philosophy, Maybe there's a better philosophy. I don't know. It's just words. But when you see him have power over sickness, and you see him have power over the demonic, and you see the miraculous and the signs and wonders, it does something for you. It tells you that his words about sin are not just words. So why is it important to walk in the power of God? Why is it important to see signs and wonders? Why is it important to see the miraculous work among us? Why should we deal with our unbelief and grow in these areas and see this happen more often? Because the demonstration of the power of God is the demonstration of the love of God 
to a humanity that is broken and lost in sin. And when the demonstration of the power of God comes, it challenges them. There's a story recently of Lee Strobel. Um, some of you guys know who wrote the, the, the um, uh, Case for Christ. Thank you. He was in an airplane recently, and the airplane lost an engine, and everybody's going down. The plane is going down. Everybody's going to die. People are freaking out. People are throwing up. People are weeping and sobbing. Some people laying on the floor in the fetal position. And he declares the gospel. He, he said, I, I preached the gospel in 60 seconds. He goes, because that's all we had. He said, I knew my wife and I were saved. He said, I looked at my wife and I said, honey, he said, are you saved because you've done anything? She said, no, it's all because of the love and the, and the mercy and the kindness of Jesus and what he did on the cross. He said, that's right. And he preached this to everybody that could hear him. And some people stopped and listened. He said, I don't know how many people, really, I don't know how many people gave their life to Jesus in that moment. He said, but obviously the plane didn't crash. The pilot eventually got control of this airplane. They brought it up and they landed. And he said, here was the interesting thing. He said, all of these people vomiting, laying on the floor, on the floor they're, they're confronted with the, their humanity. They could have died in that moment. And he said, their mortality, thank you. And he said, he looks at them, they're waiting for the next plane. One, they're getting on another plane. Can you imagine that, right? I'd be like, no, I'm, I'm going to rent a car, I think, for a little while. Do I get some more faith? I don't know, right? But here's the thing. He said they went straight back to their phones and their iPads and their ear listening devices. And he said, and it was a momentary distraction of something that is coming for every one of them at one point. He said they missed that one. But it's coming for everybody. So here's my point. If that doesn't get your attention, what's going to? I can tell you, when the supernatural breaks into this world, that gets your attention. So let me finish. This is, i got so much more to say, but let me just finish with a scripture because this is, I think, the most powerful one. Jesus has given us this kind of power, right? So let me just read this passage because um, here we go. There's two things. Matthew 9. There's a lot of this, so I won't read it all. But this is Jesus getting into a boat. He crosses over. Um, they brought him a paralytic man lying on the bed, so he's paralyzed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, of, son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. It, isn't it interesting? They bring him a paralyzed man, and what Jesus says to him is your sins are forgiven. Why? First of all, that's more important. Because every one of us are going to die right, of something. I hope I die in my sleep or in prayer. That's what I'm hoping for, right? <laughs> that's what I'm hoping for. Um, but all of us are going to go at some point, right? And this is what happened to this guy. He's, he's, he's paralyzed. He's probably not going to live a very long life. Because of that, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. That's the best thing you can say. Now, look, look at what happens. And at once, some of the scribes and within, said within themselves, this man blasphemed. That's got an exclamation point. So they said it within themselves with an exclamation point. So it's pretty, obviously what, pretty obvious what they're thinking. This is what Jesus did. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, says, why do you think evil in your hearts? What was evil? The fact that Jesus was claiming to be able to forgive sins. He was claiming to be God. Make no mistake. He says, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? Listen to this. For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise and walk? Now, let me just take a second and let that sink in. Which one is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk, even though you're paralyzed? Pretty obvious, right? Saying your sins are forgiven are, are easy. Now listen to what Jesus says. But that you may know 
that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. As Jesus passed from there, he saw a man named Matthew, and he called him into the same thing he had just done. Can you see this? Matthew has written the scripture that I'm preaching from this morning. Matthew walked in signs and wonders. Peter did. Peter raised a man from the dead. You see, Paul did the same thing. Signs and wonders weren't just in Jesus, but they were in every one of his disciples. Last scripture, I promise. Luke 10, 18, 20. And he said to them, I saw, this is when the disciples went out, and they moved in power in the same way that he had. They were toward the end of their walk with Jesus as disciples. They had learned of him. They were being like him in competency and character. They were doing the things he did and being the person that he was. He said, Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Why is that important? Because you and I as believers are invading the darkness. Now, I don't know what you do for a living, but it's probably not that. But your calling is to invade the darkness. That's what you're called to do. Whatever you do for a living. But you're called to invade the darkness. He says, Behold, I give you authority. I give you the same authority I have to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all of the power of the enemy. How much? All. All of the power of the enemy. And nothing shall shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. Right? The power of God, power over sin, I mean, power over sickness, power over demons. And then lastly, he says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So what does all this mean? Leave your nets. <laughs> Maybe, listen, you can still do your job and leave your net. Right? The idea is it stopped working and we're all just going to live by faith, you know, at, at, I don't know, Tim's house. We'll pick the, <laughs> he's got an upstairs room we can all stay in. So that's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm, if God tells you to do that, fine, do that. But the, 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 there will be fruit or there won't be fruit that you heard God, right? So don't, don't do that. What I'm saying is that every single one of us, we are called to leave our nets and to proclaim this gospel. What gospel? The good news that Jesus has saved you, yes, but he also has power over sickness, power over the demonic. What does that mean practically? What ails you? Right now, I have an ear infection. Right now. And it drives me crazy that I'm preaching about this while I have an ear infection. Do you think I haven't prayed for it? You think I haven't asked other people to pray for it? Of course, it's still there. Why? Because we're pushing back the kingdom of darkness. Many, many times has the enemy tried to kill me and probably you too. Through, di- through disease, sickness, through maybe horrible people doing terrible things to you and you've been traumatized. I don't know what it looks like. I just know that there is a broken world that came from the fall because someone somewhere way back when said no to God. Then the question is, what would it look like if someone somewhere, maybe even now, said yes to God? And the answer is, we would begin to push back the kingdom of the darkness wherever we are. And so I know many of you guys have seen signs and wonders and miracles. Some of you guys have not. And so what I want to do is I want to encourage you. Listen, just because you prayed once doesn't mean it's going to happen. 
Maybe you've prayed twice. Maybe you're praying full of unbelief and you don't even know you are. Ask the question, Lord, what is going on? Because this is what I'm doing and what I'm asking you to do as disciples. Lord, what's it, what, is it need, what needs to happen for us to see your kingdom come in the way that you said it should come? Some of that, again, is unbelief. Some of it's, I, I just don't know any better. So I want to challenge you because I'm going to pray in just a second. When I do, my sense is that God's going to talk to you. He's going to come after some things in your heart because this is his desire. There's an inheritance that he wants to give you that's not just for you, although it is for you. But there's an inheritance that needs to come through you because there are broken, hurting people everywhere we look that need the power of God to break through on their behalf. And that means saying something like, I'm struggling with depression, and you going, I would love to pray for that because I've seen Jesus break depression off people's life. Or if you've never seen it, say, I believe that the Bible teaches us that Jesus breaks depression off people's life. Would you let me pray for you because I'd love to see him do that in your life. And if they say yes, pray it like you believe it. Last story before I, I close. John Wimber, who was one of the greatest healers of our modern time, saw God work through the power of the Spirit of God in ways that most of us can't even imagine. He's an incredible guy. He died of cancer, by the way. So I'm, I know it's challenging. This guy prayed and saw more people healed than probably anybody else in modern times. So it's challenging. This is not easy. But this is what happened to him. When he got saved, he was a musician. He'd written for the Righteous Brothers. He was, he was a really talented guy. And when he got saved, he read the Bible about Jesus' power over demons and power over sickness. And he told his pastor, when do we get to do the cool stuff? And he said, what do you mean? And he told him, he said, oh, no, that stuff died with the apostles. So he said, for months and months and months, all the way until I went into seminary, I had been told that God never moves in power again. And he said, and then I found it in Scripture, and it pushed back against what my pastor had told me, and I found out that Jesus was telling me the truth, and my pastor had lied to me. He goes, I don't think his heart was bad. I just think that's what he'd been taught. He said, so I began to pray for people. As a Baptist minister, you can't do that, by the way, and he prayed for people to be healed. Went to his deacon's house who was going to work, and his wife was sick, and he didn't have anybody to watch the kids, and he asked him to come pray for and maybe watch the kids for him. So he comes over. Ten months, he had been actively praying for people, even in the congregation, even on Sunday mornings, and nothing had happened. Not a single person was made well, not a stitch of healing. Goes in just because he knew he ought to. He said, I had no faith. I had no desire to even pray for this woman outside of the fact that I just was, I was on autopilot. Went in, prayed for her. He said, it was, I don't even remember what it prayed. It was terrible. I prayed for her, and I went back out. Fully, expect, fully expecting to watch the kids, and, you know, she'd be in the bed all day. He said, as I walked out, she came out behind me, jumping, excited. She goes, I'm completely healed. I'd like to make you guys breakfast. Remember Peter's mother? <laughs> he said, I looked at the guy in complete unbelief going, what, what happened? He goes, I guess God healed her. He goes, oh. So that's his testimony of the first time somebody got healed. Ten months with no faith, and God healed. From that moment forward, he transformed. He's the one who planted the vineyard movement, vineyard churches, worship, and the power of God, the charismania breaking into Baptist and Methodist and all kinds of different churches in the 70s and the 80s. So you and I, what will you do? Will you leave your net? Will you leave the comfort of what you know and begin to step out in faith and say, God, I want to see you do signs and wonders. I want to see you do miracles, not just for the sake of it, but because it's going to demonstrate the power of your love 
and your kindness and your goodness in people's lives. And I want to see the gospel break through. I want to see the kingdom of God. So I want to pray for you. And then in just a minute, we're doing a little bit different than what we normally close. We're going to open it up the front. And if you need prayer for sickness, if you feel like you're oppressed, something demonic is pushing against you, maybe you've been struggling with something, I'd love to pray for you too. But I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask God to talk to you as a disciple. What does this mean for you? What is he asking of you? Remember the two questions of a disciple? What's God saying to me? And then the big one, what am I going to do about it? I want you to hear that this morning. What's Jesus saying for you? And what do you need to do about it? You need to take some action. So let me pray for you, and then we're going to open it up to pray for other people. So Jesus, we just come and say, thank you, Lord, even for challenge. Um, Lord, there's something you desire to see. You, you paid a heavy price to bring kingdom, the kingdom of heaven to earth, Lord. And you told us to pray. When, we asked, when the disciples asked you to pray, you said, pray like this. And one of those phrases was that the kingdom of heaven, that heaven would come and inhabit earth. And so, Lord, you've called us as believers to be, to be filled with your power, filled with your spirit, the finger of God, you called it, the power of your spirit to be filled, Lord, so that we can invade the places of darkness, Lord, whether that's in our own life or in the lives of others, Lord, we can break, see breakthrough in people's lives, that sick people are made well, Lord, that cancer is healed. God, that depression and, and brokenness, Lord, where people have tried for years to get free of that stuff and nothing has helped them, Lord, that in a moment you can break the demonic off of people's life. You can break a lie off the heart of a person, Lord, and set them free forever and for good. And so, Jesus, we lean into that this morning. We ask you, will you talk to us? Lord, what are you asking of me as a disciple? And, Lord, help me to have the courage and the faith to just do it. Whatever it is, if it's to take more risk, Lord, if it's to learn more about this or study it, Lord, whatever it is, Lord, that I would be challenged to the core of my being to go after this and see what you meant for us to have come out in abundance. So, Jesus, we love you. We thank you for challenging us, Lord. We believe that we're going to see more and more of your kingdom break through. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we close, um, if you're online, we'd love to pray with you. Of course, you're not here with but, but send us something, we'll pray for you, email or go online and, and we'd love to pray for you guys. But if you're here this morning and you're, and you're dealing with sickness, you don't even have to come up. I, I'd love for you to come up front if you can. If, if it's challenging, something's happened with your knee, leg or whatever and you need to sit down, we'll pray for you while you're sitting down. But if that's you, I would love you to either come forward or just raise your hand if you're dealing with sickness or you feel like you know, you're oppressed with something, depression. You know, it could be anything. It could be mental I mean, whatever it is. But if you're, if you're dealing with sickness and you'd like for someone to pray for you, just raise your hand real quick. And if, or if you're dealing where you feel like something may be demonic and oppressed. Okay, we've got somebody here in the back. If, you, if someone would just gather. If you're not being prayed for and you, you're a believer, it doesn't take the pastor to do that. Um, I'm not special. Right, if you could, just make your way back there and want you to, to pray for her. Right back there. Raise your hand again. Totsky's Totsky, mom. You can just gather around her. Anybody else dealing with sickness and you'd like prayer? As soon as we start this, they're going to start playing music, so we're not going to call attention to you. That's not what we're trying to do. We just want to, we want to see the, the kingdom of heaven break through in your life. You're dealing with sickness. Anybody? I, I'd like to think there's, I mean, as terrible as it sounds, <laughs> in a broken world, there's more people dealing with sickness. Oh, yeah, I'm going to get me. Don't worry. I'm going to get prayed for. I'm, I'm not leaving until so, somebody prays for me. Anybody else? Going once, going <laughs> Okay. So I'm going to dismiss you, and then I'm going to come down here, and maybe whoever wants to come pray for me, uh, come lay hands on me, and we'll trust the Lord. 
um, the Bible, I, I didn't read a scripture. The Bible says uh, if, you, if you are dealing with sickness, call for the elders of the church. They'll put oil on you, lay hands on you, put oil on you, and the prayer of faith will raise you up. And so if you're in need of prayer, uh, we got a few elders here. We'd love to put some oil on our hand and anoint you and pray for you. Okay? All right. We're going to put some music on, and I'll come down here. Anybody who wants to pray with me? Thanks, everybody. Have a good week.